This podcast was recorded on the unceded and ancestral lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Hello, hello, Descasters. Hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh... If you can hear it in the background, there I have an AC unit going behind me. There's a bit of a heat wave going on here in uh, Vancouver, so we've just got AC running. I'm also coming at you li- live, live, not live, from my new place. I just moved in to my partner's place. Uh, I apologize for not having an episode last week. It was a hectic week, uh, things moving around, shifting. Pride season is upon us, so that's been, you know that's been taking up a lot of mental space but we're back on track now with today's episode being beauty and the beast i'm very excited about this uh i really enjoy this movie uh but before i get into it gonna start off with some quick headlines here so the first headline that i have for you today uh revolves around the fact that uh so i've talked about i've talked in the past about the fact that uh disney parks have been changing their language and everything in order to become more inclusive uh, with gender and things like that. You know, they've, over the last couple years, they've been making attempts at being uh, more sensitive and things like that with, like, uh, changes in Jungle Cruise, for example, and changes in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, because, of course, uh, these things were initially put into the park uh, back in the 60s, right? And so language and uh, things depicted in those rides are just straight up out of date. And so they've been trying lately to, uh, and I think kind of succeeding a little bit, to uh, make things a little more modern and a little less problematic and a little more inclusive. And one of those things that they have just uh, changed is they've replaced the title of Fairy Godmothers uh, to the cast members who work in the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique at Disney Parks, uh, they are now known as Fairy Godmothers Apprentices. So uh, they were originally called Fairy Godmothers in Training, but now they've shifted to Fairy Godmothers Apprentices as a way to, you know, in case they have a cast member who doesn't identify specifically as female, you know, so that they can feel a little more included in that sort of thing. And that can then translate to whomever they have working, or not working, but uh, whoever they have come into Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. You know, if, you know, perhaps a little boy wants to come in or maybe uh, another little girl or, you know, someone who isn't uh, want to come into the boutique and do their, you know, their little uh, their little makeups and everything. Uh, I think this is great. Uh, I also think it's interesting because they can they can still shift this to work because you can have it that you still have the main fairy godmother, you know, the one that we know from Cinderella and then all these other uh, these cast members who work in the boutique, they are the apprentices of the fairy godmother, if that makes sense. So it makes sense in my brain. Uh, it's an easy shift. Uh, it is a, a change that I think is definitely for the future. You know, you're, there's going to get, there's going to get clapback. Of course, there always is. Uh, there's always going to be people who come at it being like, Oh, Disney's too woke and all this other stuff. It's we've, we've seen it happen before and it's going to keep happening, but it's one of those things where you just need to keep pressing forward. And I think this is just one of those ways that it's doing that. And I think it's great. Uh, the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique at Magic Kingdom at both parks will reopen on August 25th following uh, pandemic closures, uh, according to their website. So that'll be, those will be opening up soon. 
And speaking of shifts, uh, the reskin of Splash Mountain is also coming. Uh, it's been it's been in the works for for a long time uh, for Tiana's Bayou Adventure. A preview will be coming to D23 Expo in 2022, so that's going to be exciting. Oh, finally, we've we've already got like a few looks at like concept art, and you know, uh, I think that I think I saw a video where they started working on like the the actual animatronics themselves. Uh, it does look like Tiana is going to be in full human form in this, <laughs> which is going to be nice. Uh, and yeah, the the wonderful World of Dreams Pavilion at this year's expo uh, is going to showcase some of the some of the works and uh, the pavilion will have a behind the scenes behind the scenes glimpse of several upcoming disney experiences including tiana's bayou adventure it is of course based off princess and the frog and it is expected to open at both disney world and disneyland in 2024 uh there's even like they, they they've released like the kind of full concept of what the ride is going to be uh the story is that tiana with naveen and lewis are going to set off on a journey to host a giant, big, unique Mardi Gras party, and in which the guests themselves will be active participants in the ride. And at the end, it will be an ultimate Mardi Gras party. Now, what that means, not sure. Like, because when they say when you say an active participant, to me, what that reads is like you will somehow be able to interact with the ride. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what that says. We'll see what that means. Uh, I'm just excited for the D23 Expo for when we get some more info here. Uh, the attraction will, of course, have music inspired by the film's soundtrack. So if you liked the soundtrack of the of Princess and the Frog, then something tells me you're going to like the soundtrack of the ride, which I did. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Disney has released a new piece of apparel, uh, a Haunted Mansion cardigan, uh, which admittedly I have mixed feelings four but i think it's because it's the main color i'm not a big fan of so it's it's a simple cardigan it doesn't button up uh and it has uh if you've ever seen the wallpaper of the haunted mansion you'll know that there's like that chandelier that kind of has like a fa has faces on it they basically took the little chandelier and just kind of blew it up and they put it on the cardigan so there's uh there's the two panels in the front uh i can i can link uh the article so y'all can take a picture or y'all can see the picture of it uh, but it's got like the the both panels on the front have uh, one chandelier on each side, and then on the back it also has uh, the chandelier itself. It has two pockets, which is great because we love pockets. Uh, and it's kind of like this grayish color with like this really really dark purple coloring. Um, I don't know. There's something about it. I'm I'm not a hot, I I don't love it. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Uh, price tag looks to be about $70, which sounds about right, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love me the Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion is my favorite ride. Uh, and I don't know. It's, I'm just not fully... I'm not fully in love with it. I think it's because the color combination isn't great. And the... I almost wonder whether or not the chandelier is just too big big and so it doesn't really look like a pattern it just looks like they kind of took it and we're just like here we're just going to put it on the thing and it, they they blew it up a little bit it might maybe it looks a little too stretched out or something i don't know there's something about it i'm just not a huge fan of uh i probably wouldn't purchase it but you know 
I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that just looks better in person. Maybe the coloring is much nicer in person. Because on the photo, admittedly, the color lo- the colors look very muted, which is part of which is kind of the thing. Because when I think purple, I don't think this kind of very muted, dark, mauvey purple, right? And so that's kind of what I'm getting from the image. But who knows? Uh, last headline, <laughs> because of course, uh, a fight broke out in Disney World uh, because somebody. So they so there were people in line for Mickey's Philharmonic concert, and a member left the line to grab their cell phone uh, that they had apparently left in their electric conveyance vehicle. And when they tried to rejoin the line, another family just refused to let them in and physically pushed them. The confrontation started, and then a fight broke out. Like, three people were arrested, and one person was sent to the hospital. So, like... Like, I, I'm not necessarily a big fan of people cutting in line, but I'm also not going to, like, you know fight someone because they forgot their phone i'll forgive someone if they forgot their phone like who hasn't forgotten their phone and had to run out and grab it right i mean anyway this is also florida so like all bets are off quite frankly Uh, and this is of course not the first time that a fight has broken out in theme parks in general uh it's funny that i on the nbc uh article it brings up a couple times where a knott's berry farm in buena park had to close early (laughs) Uh, because multiple fights involving teenagers broke out, so much so that they had to put in a new policy that guests under the age of 17 had to be accompanied by a chaperone. I mean, I don't know, man. (laughs) People are weird. In Disneyland's Toontown, a Vegas man in 2019 just straight up was sentenced to six months in jail for participating in a brawl, like a full family brawl. And like, I don't know, like, you don't think fights when you think Disney. You just don't. And so it's funny when it kind of happens. I'm like, why? Why? People are just, people just get perhaps a bit too, a bit, a tad too excited when they're in line, perhaps. I don't know. Either way, I've been fortunate enough that all the times that I've gone to Disney, I've never had like any instances like that. So hoping to keep that streak going uh, next time my partner and I head out that way. All right. So. Here we go. Big topic. Beauty and the Beast. So Beauty and the Beast, uh, if you are unaware, is based off of, uh, of course, a French story known as La Belle, La, La Belle et la Vette, I think it's called. I think. Uh, and this is another one of those, like, it's uh, another one of those classic Disney princess films. But this, you know... <sighs> trying to find the words to really talk about this movie it's just great it's a beautiful film it's visually it's gorgeous the animation is is incredible the voice acting is incredible the songs are incredible like it's hard to really pick this movie apart and not that i want to but i feel like i should uh just to do due diligence to it um this is uh the last movie that howard ashman uh would work on uh, unfortunately, he would uh, die of AIDS-related complications six months before the movie was released, so he never actually got to see it in in theaters, um, which is, of course, super sad because he, you know, he he would constantly put his heart into all of his projects, and uh, when he passed, uh, Alan uh, Alan Menken, his uh, writing partner. Uh, 
give a beautiful eulogy eulogy uh at his funeral and everything and uh so yeah and unfortunate and it sucks because uh howard would never see the true success that this movie would uh achieve Uh, i believe it was the first disney movie to win best animated feature i'm fairly certain uh no, sorry. It was it was nominated for best picture. It won best original score. Uh, the song "Beauty and the Beast" was won for best original song. Uh, you know, classic film or classic song. It's kind of the big one of the of the movie. Uh, although all of the songs are really good, like they're all really good. But for some reason, "Beauty and the, the song Beauty and the Beast" that is sung by Angela Lansbury in the movie just kind of really stuck out i think it's because it's the one that had the uh the radio edit or not radio edit had the radio the radio play version because at the end of the film there's a version of the song um that i think is a duet and i think it is sung i want to say it's sung by celine i want to say it's sung by celine and someone else yeah celine dion and peebo bryson whoever that is um but similar to uh how what would be the iconic song from little mermaid probably part of your world because i think that's the one that most people kind of immediately jump to similar to how in this one it's uh uh beauty and the beast how aladdin when we get to aladdin it's going to be a whole new world uh it's generally like the big romance songs um but before we get too far into this, because there's actually quite a bit to talk about of this movie, uh, we're gonna give you the big, like the big classic rundown of the of the film. Uh, we start off with uh, a prologue, kind of giving you an idea of where it, it sets it sets the story, it sets the scene. Uh, it's this prologue done through visual like stained glass windows. It's quite lovely. Uh, where it tells a story of how the castle itself became cursed. And uh, it's it's a story that we all really know, uh, we know about. It's how uh, an old woman showed up at the castle. The prince was arrogant and tried to shoo her away. And then she turns out to be, you know, this beautiful enchantress. Uh, he begs forgiveness. She doesn't forgive him. So she curses him and the castle. Uh until the the prince is able to learn how to love and until someone can fall in love with him. It's that whole thing, right? So it gives the prologue uh, and then it goes into the title card and then it goes into the introduction of Belle, who is our main uh, female protagonist. And in what I personally believe is one of the best uh, opening numbers to an animated film, which is Belle. The song is so classically musical theater it is like if if it were ever a question as to who wrote the music of this song all you would need to do is look at this number and you're like oh yeah somebody in musical theater wrote this number because if you watch this number it is so very much an opening an opening number for like a music for a musical that's it's it's what it is the the song is is Belle. It's beautiful. It's you know Belle kind of remini- uh, not reminiscing, but she's like thinking about living in the small town in France. Uh, she goes around the town. Everybody thinks she's odd. It's very that. It's very like um, odd character. 
doesn't think they're odd, but kind of wrestles with the fact that other people think that she's odd. Uh, she's going around. She get she goes to the library. She gets a new book. Um, this is where we meet a lot of the char- a lot of the characters. It's where we meet all the villagers. It's where we meet Gaston. Where we meet LeFou. Uh, which is why I say this is such a perfect opening number because the purpose of these numbers is to introduce you to the characters, and this song does exactly that. We are introduced to Belle. We kind of figure out the kind of character she is. She's a, you know, she's bookish. She's brainy. Uh, she's very eccentric. She, her head is kind it's, it's in the clouds, but not in the clouds. She, you know, has big vision. She has big, um, big dreams. You know, she loves her father. Uh, the villagers are very, they're very simple people. They're simple folk. Uh, they know Belle uh, pretty well, but mostly because her father, Maurice, is an eccentric inventor. Uh, we meet Gaston, who is uh, probably one of the antagonists. In th- I would say there are two antagonists in this movie. One of them is Gaston, who is very much the the classic antagonist uh, in that he's just an all-around bad guy. Uh, and then I think you have... I wouldn't say the Beast himself is an antagonist, but I think the Beast's, almost the Beast's uh, personality or temperament is another antagonist in that his struggle with accepting himself or his struggle with, um, you know, realizing that he needs to change, that's also part of, that's also part of the struggle. If that makes sense. And I think it works because so uh, like a good portion of this film isn't even taking place in the village in which Gaston can be an active villain. A lot of it is taking place in the castle between Belle and the Beast. Anyway, but anyway, I'm jumping ahead. So we meet Gaston and LeFou. Gaston is this very arrogant, uh, you know, kind of ma- air, air quotes here, macho man kind of character. Um, he, you know, he's... He has this ego around him because he's, you know, he's highly regarded within the village uh, and he loves that. He loves the fact that everybody loves him. He loves the fact that he he knows he he knows he can get any girl he wants, but he will specifically wants Belle because she is the most beautiful girl in in the village. At least that's how they describe her in the thing. Um, And Gaston's kind of character is so easily uh uh what's the word um oh no not dissected he's so easily dissected within this opening number and that we understand that he is very arrogant he's very uh you know he doesn't care much about other people uh he isn't he has a huge huge ego and all he cares about is how people can please him you know and LeFou is, of course, like his little right-hand henchman who will do anything to make sure that Gaston is happy, to make sure that Gaston, or to feed Gaston's ego. He kind of, like, idolizes him to a degree, which is kind of weird. Um, they, they, I guess they, they kind of hinted it in the live-action version that LeFou was kind of in love with Gaston. But we'll talk about that in, uh, when we actually watch, when we do the live-action version. Um... But yeah, so Gaston, his whole thing is that he wants to marry Belle. He wants to, he wants Belle as his wife. That's his entire goal throughout this film. And he will do anything and everything he can to achieve that goal. Anyway, so 
Continuing on with this magical opening number, it's beautiful, it's brilliant, it's incredible. I love it. It's phenomenal. Uh, Bell goes to the goes to the library, takes out and takes out a book. Uh, there's a wonderful sequence in it when she's like when she sits down by the fountain, she begins uh, reading uh, this book, uh, which I think, in my opinion, uh, and this has neither been confirmed nor denied, but in my opinion, the book she is reading is kind of an allusion, uh, an allusion to the story of the Beauty and the Beast, because like it, she she makes the point by saying, "Is like, oh, isn't this alarming?" Uh, no, that's a different song altogether. <laughs> Um, oh shit, what's the line? Uh, it's my favorite part because you'll see, you'll see, here's where she meets Prince Charming, but she, but she won't discover that it's him till chapter three. So it's in that moment where you're like, oh, maybe she's kind of reading like a version of the Beauty and the Beast. And they kind of snuck that in as a way to like foreshadow a little bit. You know what I mean? But my favorite part of that sequence is that when she sits down to the fountain and she sings, because there's a bunch of sheep around her, when she's singing to the sheep, there's a woman doing her laundry in the fountain behind her. And when she starts singing, the woman just kind of looks up and around. She's like, what the fuck's going on? And she, like, sees Belle, like, gathers up her laundry and just walks off in a huff. It's, it's so funny and so dumb. But I love that they, but I love that it was included. Because, like, the, the animator had to do that. He had to animate that. And... I love the fact that there was an animator who was like, I'm just going to put this little joke in here. And I love it. It's so funny. It's so stupid. It's so good. Anyway, so we continue on with the, with the, with the number. Uh, Gaston, like there's the big, there's the big overlapping bits. Uh, Gaston finally catches up to Belle. And, you know, he's trying to like win her over or whatever. Whereas Belle is, is like having none of it. She is, she is so disinterested in Gaston. She is constantly trying to very... You know, politely dismiss him, but of course, Gaston, being the egotistical asshole that he is, just does not catch a hint. So yeah, Belle goes home, uh, tries to reassure her father, who thinks that he's a failed inventor. You know that you know he's no, he's good. He's because he's in, he's inventing a machine that is meant to chop wood, and you know Belle is like very much trying to you know boost him trying to perk up his uh what's it called his his spirits because he feels like he's you know the thing just isn't working it's you know and she starts to try and like ask him is like do you think dad like papa do you think i'm odd and, and he's like what my daughter odd where would you get an idea like that and it's like yeah but you're also kind of weird <laughs> Like, it, they're a weird family. They're very cute. They're very, you know, it's not that their heads are in the clouds. It's that they're just, they think differently. They, you know, like, there's, uh, in in the reprise of um, of the song Bell, she makes a point by saying, she's like, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell, you know. And so she, Bell wants more than what, than the life that she has. And I think that's also reflective um, in her, in her father, you know, who also kind of wants more, which is why, you know, which is why he's trying to become an inventor. He's trying to, you know, bring a better life for him and his daughter kind of thing. Right. Anyway, so he succeeds in making the invention work. He packs it up. He, he hitches up Philippe, which is the name of their horse. And he sets off to the, what I can only assume is like a big inventors convention type thing, uh, for him to show off his invention, hopefully sell it. 
So he goes off. Uh, he goes off into the woods. He gets lost. He blames it on Philippe because, of course, you got to blame the horse, right? And then uh, Maurice finds himself in front of the castle, in front of uh, the beast's castle. Uh, he's cold. Uh, uh, Philippe has run off. He got scared by wolves. And so Maurice goes into the castle, uh, finds Lumiere and Cogsworth, the enchanted the enchanted uh, household items, who very quickly begin to you know to dote on him. They get they they give him some tea, or Mrs. Potts gives him tea. Uh, they set him down in front of the fire so that he can warm up. But of course, the beast comes in and he is furious. So, it does not go well. Uh, the beast basically takes Maurice, locks him up in the in the tower, uh, because he he immediately feels attacked. He feels like uh, because Maurice kind of looks at him in shock. Because of course you're gonna look at him in shock. It's a it's a freaking like it's a beast. What other reaction are you gonna have? And so the beast kind of takes offense, throws him in the tower. Cut two. Back to the village. So now we have Gaston, who is so sure. So here's what he does. So Gaston gathers the villagers for his wedding because he's going to go up to Belle and propose. Now, he is so sure, he is so sure that she's going to say yes, that he basically pulls everybody together. He, the, the wedding is ready to go. Like, it's there. There's there's the priest. There's the witnesses. Everyone is there. And he goes up to everyone. He's like, thank you all for coming to my wedding. Uh, I guess I should go and propose to the girl. Like, in a joking manner, as if it's like, oh, of course she's going to say yes. Ha, 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 ha. And it's like, it's wild that he has that big of an ego. And, of course, everybody laughs. They're like, ha, ha, yes, of course. Of course she's going to say yes. Mer, mer, mer. And so Gaston goes up to the door. Uh, and knocks on it bell looks through this fun viewfinder type thing that like assuming maurice invented and <laughs> she like rolls her eyes she, and, like the face she makes is so good and i just love the fact that an animator did it because it, it's so very the reaction she has is perfect she looks through the viewfinder she's it sees it's gaston she puts it back and she's like ugh and just like the eye roll is so big and it reads so huge. It's so funny. It's so perfect. She opens the door and there's Gaston. And she's, and she's like, oh, Gaston, what a surprise. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. And he's just like, you know, basically laying it thick on her. She's like, he's like, Bell, today is your lucky day. And he's like, uh, you know, basically laying down the life that they're that he's planning to have with her you know he's like you know my latest kill roasting on the fire uh my my little wife massaging my feet you know uh while the boys play with the dogs we'll have six or seven dogs no bell boys strapping boys like me you know he like his whole life is basically laid in front and, and bell is just there just to be the baby producing trophy wife it's it's so incredibly like it is it is textbook toxic masculinity and just pure misogyny like it's so over the top ridiculous that it's like you can't help but but laugh like it's 
the thing the thing with Gaston, I think, is that the character himself is so irredeemably shitty. He's he's just straight up he's a dick. There is no redeemable quality about this man. He is awful. He is a terrible person. He you know but I think it's the way that they play it is that he is so over the top uh like misogyny, like misogynistic. You like you just can't help but look at him and be like, You're you're not serious, right? Like you're this is clearly satire. Like you can't take him seriously because he is so over the top. And I think this is a very good way to do it. You know, because you can it's it's very easy to play misogyny and toxic masculinity and it be very cringy and you know, unpleasant. But the way that Gaston is done, I think, is that it is so over the top because he because he believes in himself so wholeheartedly that you can't help but just kind of laugh it off and just not take him seriously. Be like, yes, yes, yes. We know Gaston. We know no no. Yes, okay. You go over there and you know, you sit there and fawn over your trophies, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. You be over there, okay? Like it's one like it's a head pat moment. Right. And so, yeah, like that, that's kind of why I think he's 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 more like a soft antagonist. Like, I think the antagonism, the antagonists in this film, as I mentioned earlier, being Gaston and and Beast's own internal uh, internal uh, internalized issues. They're uh, like they're more subtle or not necessarily subtle because they're in that they are apparent, but uh, they're not like crazy big bads, if that makes sense. So, of course, Belle graciously rejects him, far more graciously than I think that he deserves. Like, she straight up says, uh, Gaston, I, I just don't deserve you, which is, of course, like, you know, the nice way to put him down. And so she does, and he kind of is like, uh, he, like, grabs the food, and he's like, I will have Belle for my wife. Uh, you know, he, he, he's just so hell bent on it. It's wild to me. It's almost, it's like borderline obsessive anyway. And so, yeah. And so she's like, there's more now. This is where we get into the reprise of the song bell in which, you know, she dreams for, for she, she dreams for more. She dreams for, you know, a better life and all this other stuff. And then that's where she sees Philippe show up with the broken cart. And he's the, and she, you know, she panics. She's like, Oh my God, what the hell? And so she goes with Philippe, uh, over to the castle uh, how they got there, I don't know. Philippe just kind of retraced his steps, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so she shows up at the castle. Uh, she sees uh, Maurice's hat, goes into the castle, starts looking around. Cogsworth and Lumiere are in there. Uh, Cogsworth being the little clock guy and Lumiere being the ca- the the three-stick candle holder. Thing. Yeah, he's like, is he candelabra? Or is he just a candlestick holder? I think he's a candelabra. Anyway, he has candles, basically. So, yeah, so they uh, they slowly kind of guide her without revealing themselves. They guide her up to the, to the tower where she finds Maurice in, in, the, uh, in the dungeon tower. Belle is very sad. She's like, oh, my God, like, who did this to you? What are you going to do? Beast shows up, and she's like... Uh, please, my father is sick. You know he ne- he needs help, and the beast is like, no, he trespassed. He shouldn't have trespassed. And blah, blah, blah. he's ba- you know being an asshole in general, and she's like, look, take me instead. I will take his place. And the beast is like, wait, really? Like, y- 
you're willing to do that? And she's like, yeah, it's my father. So the Beast uh, basically makes her promise to stay at the castle, to never leave, of which she does. Uh, and so Beast is like, sure, fine. And basically grabs Maurice, pulls him, pulls him out of the tower, throws him into like a carriage, says to take him back to the village. Belle is, of course, distraught because she's like, I didn't even get to say goodbye. Uh, Lumiere kind of tells the Beast, uh, you know, maybe if she's going to be here for a while, maybe she should have like a room. So the Beast agrees. Uh, however, probably a little reluctantly. Belle is, of course, surprised, but the but the Beast is like, yeah, sure, like, yes, of course. Like, do you want to stay in the tower? If not, then follow me. Takes her down, uh, basically tells her, it's like, the entire castle is yours. You're allowed to go any, anywhere you need to go or anywhere you want to go except the West Wing. You know, and she's like, well, where, what's in the West Wing? He just responds like, it's forbidden. You know, it's all very mer. <laughs> anyway. So show up at his, at her door, uh, and Lumiere is like, invite her to dinner. And he's like, you will drum me for dinner. It's it's very clear that Beast has not had any social interaction for quite some time. Because uh, like, he's been in isolation for... They, they make a point of saying in the song, in, in the song Be Our Guest, they say, for 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. And so it's like... So the curse has been on the castle for 10 years. Um... And so for 10 years, the the Beast has been in isolation and has lost all social skills, basically. But it also doesn't help that he is struggling with his own internalized hate, you know? Because uh, I think the big thing with the Beast is that he... His main issue is not necessarily his attitude it's more his at least what i think is that he has this great dislike for himself and we see this uh when we catch when we see uh when bell goes into his room later on and we see what his room looks like how it's trashed how his own self-portrait is like torn apart you know so I think that the big thing about it is that the beast is it's not that he can't have feelings for other people because he can. It's very clear that he has relationships with, you know, with his servants, you know, with Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts. It's very clear he has relationships with them. It's just he has so much internalized hate for himself because of how he feels he looks because he feels that he himself is so unlovable because of the fact that he is a giant beast, right? And so that's the kind of, that's the main issue here. That's why I think he's coming off uh, or, you know, acts the way that he does because he's projecting, right? And so he the, he most likely says, says this to Belle, like when he's like, you will join me for dinner, that's not a request. He says that because he feels if he were to ask her to dinner, no matter what, she would she would she would decline. And so he feels like it has to be an order; otherwise, she would never say yes. Like there's no possible way, right? Um, 
and he feels this and we, and we see this in his character you know uh like there's a bit there's a there's a moment later on where he like pulls the mirror like this magic mirror that he has and he's like show me the girl and shows bell talking to uh the wardrobe being like i don't want to get to know him i don't want anything to do with him and she and he's like i'm just an idiot like there's no way she'll ever ever like me like i am a monster basically so I think that's kind of the big hurdle that he needs to go that he needs to get over. Anyway, I'm I'm jumping around again. So after that, Belle uh, is in her home, or not her home, sorry, in her room. She's upset. You know, now she's basically she feels she's a prisoner at this point. Now here is where now here is where we get some interesting things. Uh, so there's a big conversation about the fact uh, a lot of people assume that this movie depicts an example of what is known as Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is basically in which captors, no, sorry, captives will develop feelings for their captors, right? Now, the issue is I... I Myself and actually other people who have analyzed this movie disagree with that. We don't think that it's necessarily strictly Stockholm Syndrome. Text, we don't think it's textbook Stockholm Syndrome. Mostly because she, when she begins to develop the feelings for Beast, they're not they're not necessarily under duress. If that makes sense, it's not that she's fully kept captive. Like, I feel like it'd be different if she was kept in the jail, like in the tower, and she began developing feelings for him. Whereas in, as it's shown later on, and she, I'm jumping around again, but like basically, so after they have this big fight, she just leaves. She gets attacked by wolves. The beast saves her life. She makes the conscious decision to come back. And stay and want and uh, to because of course the beast gets attacked by the wolves and he gets injured and so she comes back and and like uh, and aids him nurses him back to health basically but then after that point she stays by choice because it's already it's apparent that she is willing to leave whenever she wants but she decides to stay and in and in that process she begins they because at that point they kind of begin to develop feelings for each other which is apparent so this i I just don't think this is necessarily an example of that in the original story it was it was stockholm syndrome however this uh this version uh kind of eliminates that and the feelings developed for each other is done through a genuine connection as opposed to Bell being under duress. Anyway, more jumping around. So, uh, Beast basically tells everyone, you know, she's not allowed to leave the room. She doesn't eat with me. She doesn't eat at all. So, Cogsworth tells Lumiere, you watch the door. She's not allowed to leave. Lumiere's like, fine. Cut to, or fast forward a little bit. Uh, Bell has now um, made friends with uh so with like the wardrobe uh mrs pot show up shows up uh and is like offering her tea and stuff this is where she starts to kind of befriend some of uh the servants and everything uh she just or this is where she decides that no she's not going to go to 
uh, to dinner. Um, and then this is, then it cuts to the beast kind of pacing back and forth being like, where is she? You know, uh, and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts are like, look, if you want her to fall in love with you, if you want her to like you, you need to do these things. You need to control yourself. You need to look debonair and dashing, you know, be a gentleman and all this. And, and, and it's apparent that he wants to try, but when he finds out that she's not coming, he freaks out runs to her door, starts hammering on the door, and is like, I thought I told you to come down to dinner. And it's just, it's incredibly toxic. It's not okay. It's really shitty. He's being an asshole. I will say, he's being an asshole. And so she is just like, no, I'm not going anywhere. I don't want anything to do with you. And that's where he says, okay, fine. If she's not eating with me, she's not eating with anyone else. So then she decides to sneak out of the room because, of course, she is hungry. This is later on at night. Goes down to the kitchen uh where she meets everyone and uh Lumiere is like all right fine sure why not let's uh prep some food for her uh everyone's excited to feed her and everything it's cuz it's it's nice to have someone new in the castle right and so this is where we get the iconic be our guest this number this sequence is just it's phenomenal it's hilarious. It's amazing. This is where we find out that it had been 10 years since the placement of the curse. Um, it's, we don't necessarily, like, I think at the beginning they say that if he doesn't fall in love with someone by his 18th birthday, I want to say. So then that means that if it's been 10 years, he's like, the beast is just about to turn 18. And he turned away the Enchantress at the age of eight. I don't like this because it's not it it's not believable to me, and especially because of how the characters are. I don't for a second believe that Belle is a teenager, nor do I believe that the Beast is. I believe I would much I'm I'm much more comfortable believing that these characters are in their mid to late twenties. Like, the timeline doesn't work. And so the timeline has always been a point of contention within this movie because it's always been like, oh, like, there's no way that he could be that young, if that makes sense. Naive, sure, because if he's only ever had anything go his way and he's only ever had anybody, you know, dote on him and, uh, you know, treat him like a prince and he becomes er – I believe the arrogance. I don't believe the age. Anyway, so – um, be our guest iconic brilliant it introduces us to the gray stuff which is now something that you can eat in the Disney parks because I get I, I mean I guess it's iconic I guess sure why not <laughs> try the gray stuff it's delicious <laughs> uh, apparently it is apparently it is actually very good so there is that which is nice um yeah, and then after that, she decides to take a tour of the castle. Uh, Cogsworth uh, gives her a tour of the castle, uh, which is actually very cool. And so, like, as they're wandering around, uh, find, she finds out that there's a library, and she sees the direction of the West Wing. And so while Cogsworth and Lumiere are kind of wandering off, she sneaks away to the West Wing, goes into the West Wing. That's where she finds the rose. So this whole curse is... Uh, centered around this rose that is kind of floating in a bell jar 
And the, the Enchanted Rose basically gives like the timeline of everything. Once the last petal falls of the rose, that's when the, if the beast is not able to break the spell by that point, then everyone stays permanently frozen. Everyone stays permanently in their, uh, like in their, I guess, inanimate object state. Like Lumiere will forever be a candelabra. Cogsworth will forever be a clock. Mrs. Potts will forever be a teapot. Like that kind of, the, the, the enchantment stays. So she goes into the beast's room. This is where she sees, you know, a little bit of the stuff. This is where she actually finds a painting of the prince before his transformation. Uh, she finds the rose. She removes the bell jar. She's almost about to touch it. And then the beast shows up. And then this is where he freaks out. He starts screaming and yelling. He's like, get out. And everything. And she freaks the fuck out. Bell runs. Bell leaves everyone Cogsworth and Lumiere are like, wait, 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 where are you going? And she's like, I can't, I, I can't stay here. This is awful. I'm leaving. And so she leaves, grabs Philippe, and just books it out of there. So on her way out, she gets chased by wolves. Uh and just when you think that like she's gonna lose against the wolves, uh, the beast shows up. Beast shows up to save her. He gets attacked. Uh, he passes out from the pain. She's just about to hop on back, hop back on Philippe, just about to leave, but then takes pity on him, and instead takes the beast back to the castle to nurse him back to health. Now, again, this is why I say that I don't think this movie is an example of Stockholm syndrome, because it just if so it it just isn't. Right? Because, like, if you were to look at the textbook definition of Stockholm Syndrome, it says here that Stockholm Syndrome is feelings of trust or affection felt in many cases of kidnapping or hostage taking by a victim toward a captor. Now, while it may seem that way, it's, I feel like, I, I feel like because she has her own agency, because she is. She may be she may be a captive within the castle, but she's not necessarily captive within the castle. She's still free to move about the grounds, to move about the castle. She can go anywhere she wants, basically. She just has to stay within the castle. And the beast kind of leaves her to her own devices and uh, treats her well, treats her with respect, if anything. You know, she he treats her kindly. As opposed to where in traditional aspects of Stockholm Syndrome, I feel like that is not the case, right? So when she goes back to, when she brings the beast back, she, uh, they're sitting by the fire and she's, you know, tending to his wounds. Um, they have this kind of heart to heart in which uh, she basically tells him, like, look, you need to control your temper. If you weren't such an asshole, then I wouldn't have left. And, and you know... So we, they're they're like having this back and forth like they're like like it's a you know for lack of a better phrase like an old married couple it's very fun anyway it's very good it it's it really showcases the fact that you know the beast is able to at least listen uh and yeah so they have this they have this ex exchange and then we go into like a little montage but before we jump into that i completely missed the Gaston sequence. So 
after after basically the beast locks her in her or basically tells uh everyone that she can't come down to dinner like at all it cuts to the village uh it cuts to gaston sitting in like a tavern you know basically moping about the fact that he got rejected and he's all sad about it and uh lefou is trying to cheer him up and then this is where we get the sequence of the song gaston so this is another uh another example of where we get to learn a little bit more about this character uh lefou is definitely his hype man (laughs) uh and we learn that a lot of these people highly revere him. Rever- they highly revere Gaston for reasons we don't know, but it's mostly because he just is apparently such a pinnacle of masculinity that that is why he is so respected. He is this big macho, like like uh, in the in the lyrics, it's like no one uh, fights like Gaston. Uh, you know, all these other things. They're basically comparing. It's like nobody does anything quite like Gaston. He is the manliest of men. He is. You know, he he he's the best hunter, and they're basically showcasing all of these various uh, examples of hyper masculinity, and that is why Gaston is so great. Completely forgetting the fact that, sure, physically he's impressive, but emotionally he's incredibly not. Uh, point of order, also actually, in a mo- in in the song, he's like, "When I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs every morning to help me get large, and now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs." And I would just like to do a little quick calculation here. So one egg, let's say a large egg, uh, is about 72 calories, right? 72 calories. uh, Not sure. Where's the breakdown here? Okay. So it is six grams of protein, about five grams of fat. So when I was allowed, I ate four dozen eggs. So four dozen, that's 12, right? So 12 eggs, 12 times four is 48. So when I, so he would eat 48 eggs when he was younger. 48 uh, large eggs, we're looking at over 3,000 calories. We're looking at 300 grams of protein, 230 grams of fat, 3,456 calories every day. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen eggs. So five dozen is 60 eggs, 4,320 calories, 288 grams of fat, and 378 grams of protein. That's a lot. Like, that's a lot. Those are a lot of eggs. How do you eat that many eggs? Where do you get that many eggs? Like, earlier in this, earlier in the movie, during the song Bell, there was a woman who was looking for just six and she was having trouble. Oh my god, is that is that why she was having trouble? Oh my god, I just had a realization. Like literally just now, the reason the woman was having so much trouble with eggs is because Gaston is eating all the eggs. Oh my god, you guys. You know, just always learn, just constantly learning more and more new things. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so basically he's that's just that's 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 a that's a lot of eggs. Anyway, point is, is that would make sense as to why he was able to get so big. And you know what? That's fine. But again, physical prowess and and, and hypermasculinity does not necessarily make you a good person. You can have all of those traits and be a good person. 
but just but not having the decency to be a nice person doesn't or just because you are so physically impressive doesn't mean you are a good person and i think and that's the thing here with the especially with this song is that everything that they're talking about within the song gaston is how physically impressive he is everything like that's it there's no there's no there's no other layers that's all there is and the whole song is basically just a giant ego boost to make him feel better and it's a fun song it's a great song i love it um but yeah it it very much showcases like oh like how shallow and how you know how little depth there is to gaston which is fine because that's that's the purpose of his character anyway at the end of the song maurice bursts in and he is freaking out he's like i need i need your help bell is trapped in the castle and all this other stuff and basically starts pleading and pleading for people to help him and then he tells them, "It's like she's in, she's like uh, she's been locked in the in the dungeon by this horrible monstrous beast." And everyone's like, "The fuck are you talking about?" Like, basically, completely dismissing him. And then Gaston, like, basically they they toss him out of the tavern. And then Gaston gets an idea. He's like, "Maurice is a harmlessly crazy old man. This is how I'm gonna this is how I'm gonna get her back. This is this is how I'm gonna get Belle." And so they hatch a plan. We don't find out what the plan is until later on which I'll get to in a second. But anyway, Maurice is like, well, he realizes nobody's going to help him. And so he kind of decides to take matters into his own hands. Now cut to, we're back at the castle. We're now with beast and the bell uh, with the beast and bell. There it is. Uh, so now we're into this montage. The, basically the montage showcases the time between spend between bell and beast. Uh, beast is starting to warm up to her. I think it just really he just really needed someone who wasn't his servants to just come at him and be like, look, this is your problem and this is how you need to and you need to fix it. You know, and I think sometimes certain people. Certain people need to have that told to them because they live in this world in which they are. The be all end all. Right. And you know what? That's 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 the interesting dichotomy between. Uh, between these two characters. So Gaston and Beast are two examples, I think, of toxic masculinity. You have Gaston with the arrogance, and then you have Beast with, quite frankly, with the verbal abuse. Both of these characters need to have somebody sit down and and tell them, you're being an asshole and here's why. Gaston is so arrogant that he will not listen because he believes he is perfect. Beast, on the other hand, hears it and actually starts to change. Both of which are perfectly plausible examples of of toxic masculinity, but only one of them is, is good enough to actually try and change. And I think it showcases that just, like... Changing yourself to to be a better person does not mean you cannot remain masculine. Does that make sense? Like, during the, like, afterward, like, during this whole montage between Belle and Beast, I never once thought of Beast as being less masculine just because, simply because he began treating Belle with more respect. 
right? Because that's what he does. He be get, you know, he shows her the library. He gifts her the library, you know. Uh, and then you know there there's a moment where they're playing where they're snow fight where they're playing uh, like snowball fights and this other, this other stuff. And you can tell that the relationship between the two of them is getting better and better, and it's really nice. Uh, but this is also why I don't think this is an example of Stockholm syndrome because this would not happen with Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome would be in which Beast was constantly treating Belle shittily, but he's not, right? He's, he's treating her with respect. He's giving her, uh, effectively free range, you know, he's, you know, leaving her alone and all this other stuff, uh, and just all around being a decent person to Belle. Now, fast forward a little bit. And, uh, so the end of the montage, uh, and, there's an interesting thing because there was actually an extra se- musical sequence in this movie. So there was a point uh, uh, during this movie uh, or during the production of this movie, uh, they removed a, a music musical sequence called Human Again. Uh, in later releases of the film of, the, of, uh, of Beauty and the Beast, uh, in some of the Blu-ray versions, I do believe that you can... Uh, watch a version of the of the movie in which human again is put back into it because it's supposed to happen between uh the montage and the uh beauty and the beast like the ballroom sequence when they when they have like their date uh and it's basically just a song sung by uh all the servants you know thinking about how it's like oh it's it'll be great to be human again you know it's it's all it's that whole thing it's them uh excited about the fact that they might actually become human. It's a wonderful sequence. It's actually quite nice. Uh, but it was pulled from the original um, from the original version. You can find the sequence online. Like it's 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 not a, it's not like it's a de- I guess you could call it a deleted scene. But uh, you can find it again. I'll, I'll link a video to it uh, here in the uh, in the show notes so you can watch it. Uh, the IMAX version of the film released in twenty in two thousand two uh, included it. It's only like a five minute sequence. Uh, it was included in the musical uh, because, of course, there is a musical. Uh, this Beauty and the Beast was the first uh, film to be adapted into a musical by Disney. Uh, so that's pretty cool. The musical is actually very good. I really enjoy the musical. Uh, but yeah, but Human Again is a very fun sequence. Uh, I'll link it. I'll link a video to it. Uh, it isn't in the live action version. Uh, I'm not too sure why, uh, but I think it's because it very much interrupted the flow of the film. Because when you watch it, when you watch when you watch the original cut without Human Again, you watch the montage, and then it basically jumps right into where Beast is is getting ready. You know, they're he, they're grooming him, which is very funny. Uh, and then, whereas when they include it, it is a bit of a, like a weird kind of, what's the phrase? Uh, like it, it, it kind of messes with the flow a little bit. So I can understand why they would pull it, even though it's a fun sequence. Like it's a fully animated sequence and everything. The song is great. The sequence is fun, but I can understand why they would remove it. Anyway, so now we go into this iconic ballroom scene. We have Belle come down in her 
gorgeous yellow dress. And we have the Beast show up in his very dapper blue jacket. Uh, they go into the ballroom, and then this is where we get the song, the uh, Academy Award-winning song sung by Angela Lansbury, Beauty and the Beast. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. Uh, just top marks. Top marks. Howard, Howard Ashman and Alan Rankin fucking knock it out of the park. It's beautiful. So they do, they do their dance. Uh, it's interesting because this part, portions of the sequence are actually not fully animated. In that, you have Belle and Beast dancing in the middle of the ballroom. And then the actual ballroom itself, some of it is actually in CG, which is interesting. Uh, and I think it's the first time, or it's not the first time CG has been included in an animated feature, uh, but it's the first time, at least within the Renaissance, because this didn't happen in uh, in Little Mermaid. It's very cool because it gives a very cool like 3D element to it. You would think that it would be very uh, like jarring, but it's surprisingly not. Like I, I think it's, I think it was actually pretty cool. Anyway, but after after that sequence, then Belle and Beast kind of sit out on like this little balcony. They're having a moment. It's very sweet. Beast is like, Belle, are you happy? And she's like, yeah, you know, but I miss my father, you know, and he's like, well, I can, you know, I can fix that. Takes her, takes her back to her, back to his room uh, and shows her the mirror. Uh, she asks the mirror to see her father uh, who is wandering somewhere, you know, in the forest by himself. Uh, and then, uh, so she leaves because she's like, I have to go and help him. And he's like, okay, fine. So he lets her go. So she goes, finds him, takes him back to, uh, the village. Uh, everyone is like, uh, what the hell did you just do? And he's like, I had to let her go because I love her. And they're like, oh, my God, like, this is great. It's going to break the spell. And they're like, no, 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 She needs to love him back. And then they're like, oh. And I, I guess at this point they kind of realize, oh, I think we just, I think we're fucked. Like, I think this is it. We just have to kind of accept this. Like, the, 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 moment, the, the moment the prince learned to love, and it's too late. You know? And so uh, Belle goes back to the village with Maurice. Uh, they try and seek help. Um... However, Gaston and LeFou had kind of concocted a plan in which the warden of uh, this insane asylum would come in and take Maurice. And Gaston was basically like, if you don't marry me, then Maurice is going to go to this to this loony bin. Another example of just Gaston's just being a shitty person. Uh, and so because... Uh, so she, uh, Belle has the mirror with him, with her because the beast is like, so that you can remember me by kind of thing. Right. And so as a way to prove that Maurice is not crazy, she says, show me the beast and shows everyone the beast in the reflection of the mirror. Everyone sees it and then completely forgets about Maurice. And then Gaston is like, wait, 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 not only is it real, but like, do you have feelings for this creature? And she's like, he's my friend. And he's like, how can it be your friend? Instant jealousy. Instant jealousy. Freaks out. Starts spouting things like he's going to come and snatch your children and all this. Like, you know, uh, and then this is where we get the mob song. Basically, uh, Gaston pulls everyone together and creates a giant mob. And then they all start marching towards the castle. 
it's such a it's such an interesting example of like that toxic idea of like just spouting scaring people into like a fervor and like scaring people into following him and so that happens uh they march over to the castle they attack the castle but the servants all see everybody coming and so they hide and like once that everybody comes into the main main atrium all of like the servants who are like disguised as regular household items start attacking everybody it's very fun uh gaston of course goes up to the beast who is kind of just like he's done he's upset he's sad but then uh gaston starts attacking him they have a fight uh bell rushes back to the to the castle uh the beast sees bell he has this new like he is invigorated he has this newfound strength again because he sees the woman that he loves uh come back to him and so he fights back against gaston and then ultimately is like just about to throw him over the edge of the castle but then kind of regains his humanity kind of thing because bell is like pleading like that's enough uh and then Gaston is just about to, like, stab him in the back when he slips and falls into the gorge and dies. You know, a prime example of, once again, Disney showcasing the death of the villain while also not showcasing the death of the villain. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, the beast uh, was kind of mortally wounded, and so he's, like, lying there dying. Belle finally confesses his love for him, or her love for him, the last petal of the of the flower falls and then suddenly like sparks start flying and then the spell is broken uh the beast transforms back into his human princely form uh which personally you know and it's funny because <laughs> it's funny in recent years how <laughs> um it seems like more and more people are much more in favor of the beast being in the beast form rather than prince form, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I just think it's very funny that like people were, are just kind of like, uh, oh, he transformed into the prince. I mean, like it's a bit of a downgrade, but you know, I just I just think that's very funny. Uh, anyway, so transfers back into human. Uh, they confess their love to each other spell is broken everyone's back in human form and then they have a big party and everyone's excited and everyone's happy and then they live happily ever after and that's basically the whole movie uh it is a wonderful film i love this movie it does have its issues in terms of like uh timeline wise i think it's weird um there is the question of like did all like it's it's assumed that all of the servants turned into an object that pertains to their job. But does that mean that every object in the castle used to be a human? Because during the seat, like during the um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, be our guest sequence. You have like spoons and you have cutlery and plates and mugs. All are all sentient. And so the question is, are all, were all of those things human at some point? Is it that or perhaps the enchantment on the castle 
not only transformed the servants into an, into the objects, but also brought life to inanimate objects, right? And so it's it's very unclear. Uh, I just don't think there were that many servants in the castle. Like, can you imagine one person per plate? That's like, that's a bit much, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, this movie is great. Like, it's uh, once again just Disney did such a great job with this movie with the story. Is it perfect? No, it's not. But none of them really are. None of them can be. But I do think that it did a fabulous, fabulous job. I do think it's wonderful. The Broadway production is also very good, or at least like the the, the theater, the, the the musical live musical version is great. There's two other sequels to this movie, by the way. There's uh, Bells Enchanted Christmas, which is which I actually quite liked. It has Tim Curry in it, so already it's gonna be great. Uh, and then there's another one called Bell's Magical World, which is like, um, it's similar to Cinderella 2 in which it's like a bunch of small, like short stories all put together. Uh, that one's, uh, both of those are kind of mid quills, although Enchanted Christmas technically starts off after the events of this movie, but then they have like a flashback. Anyway, it's weird. Uh, and then, of course, we have the live-action version, which we'll, ta- which we'll touch on once, we're, once we do all the animated versions. So next week is Enchanted Christmas. I know it's not Christmas. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to kind of see, because it's, it's interesting because it's actually quite clear as to when in the timeline that movie takes place. So it's... It's it's not like a it's not like one of those mid quills where it's like well where does this fit? It's actually quite clear where it does. So that is I think something that uh, that's one thing I do like about it because it's not confusing as to where it, where it fits and how it works. And it also actually kind of expands on the story as well because you get uh, like you see the moment when the enchantress arrives at the castle. But regardless, we'll I'll touch on that once we actually get to it. Uh, Budget for this movie was $25 million. It, the box office made 440 So needless to say, I think it was a success. I think it continues to be a success. And this movie remains iconic. And it's great. And I am excited to go further into it and then compare it to the live-action version. Because the two are the same but not. And we'll talk about the live-action version once, I, once, once we do it. Because... I don't know, like, I saw what they tried to do. They succeeded in some places, failed in others, but we'll talk about it when we get to it. Anyway, so hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, it's a classic film. Watch it. You'll love it. It's great. Uh, and, yeah, we'll catch you all next time. Bye. Bye.